we're talking about being slaves of Christ. And, and, and a couple of things you got to know as we look at this, because I, I want you to catch it. But just read it with me, uh, if you will. You want to stand up, that'd be great. And I'll try to quit saying awesome uh, after I said that. Y'all catch me in that, okay? Uh, keep me accountable. Uh, beginning in, in verse uh, 5, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Y'all can be seated. Pray God adds the understanding to the reading of his word this morning. Here's what I want you to catch out of this this morning. I call it slaves of Christ, and I'll come back and define that word. We can just go on to the next slide, please. In everything we do, we serve Christ. I don't know if you understand that. I just said it quickly. It's a short sentence. Uh, that I put up there. But what you need to understand is there is no activity in your life that you do that is not done for Christ if you know Him. Yeah, please amen that. There's nothing you do in this life. I don't care what your job is, at your job, in your family. Anything you do, you are serving not men, but Christ. That is the point of this passage. Now, it's set in some words that, especially today, we're this close to Charlottesville. We've just had, uh, you know, very recently uh, altercation down there. The whole country is all uh, um, talking about stuff. And, and so we hate to use the word slaves and masters. But I want you to understand this word means slaves and masters. Say, well, we don't own slaves. Thank the Lord. Amen. And uh, I'm not a master of anybody, and I understand that, but you are either an employee or an employer. You have charge over somebody, or you are responsible to someone, right? Yeah, we don't live in a vacuum. And so the principles that he is saying here still apply to us. Now, let me explain that word slaves. Paul, very clearly, especially in the book of Romans, says that you and I are slaves to Christ. We are slaves of Christ. And there is no lessening of that word when he refers to us that way. Now, in, he's speaking to the Romans, a secular society, uh, or the, the people living in a secular society that were Christians. And, and by the way, I, I said something earlier I want to expound on just a second. I said, if you're a Christian, everything you do is for Christ. Because here's the mentality. For the Christian, every bush is a burning bush. All ground is holy ground. Why? Because God has put His Holy Spirit in us, right? And it's the same for the church. So, I mean, not this church, and I can tell you not this church, but maybe if you've come from another church, you've been to a church business meeting where people are yelling and shouting and cussing and carrying on. Really? Is that Christ that divided? No. So at least somebody in there is full of the devil, right? Let's be plain. We can't can't fix stuff we don't say it the way it is. Now, understand this. In in the Bible, slavery was a little bit different in the way that it was going on in those days. 
but it was still wrong. But God gave them some rules about slavery because it was a, a reality. Uh, in the Old Testament, you could not, uh, the Jews were, were forbidden from taking, uh, uh, capturing a foreigner or someone not part of Israel and making them a slave. And every six years, they were supposed to, or seven years, on the seventh year, they were supposed to release all the slaves, make them free. Because slavery then was basically you committed a crime or you owed somebody money or something and you could not afford to pay for that crime or that, that money. So you became what we would call an indentured servant. But you were totally a slave. Now, this is in Rome. This is in the New Testament days. And the Romans had slaves. They were captured in war. As you know, uh, Rome ruled by power, by strength. And they made slaves of the people they conquered. And they did not regard the life of their slave as anything. In fact, they said there were three instruments or tools in, in agriculture in their farming. And they called them the articulate, the inarticulate, and the mute. The articulate were the slaves. The inarticulate were the animals. And the mute were the plows. The only thing that separated a slave from an animal or a plow was he could talk. In their mindset. One ruler killed one of his slaves for accidentally killing his pet quail. They said when a slave got old, just throw him on the garbage heap. They mistreated people very severely. Our own country, we struggled with that. Thank God we had a, a, a document and, and people that helped fix that. Uh, the English Empire captured and created three million slaves through its time of, uh, as long as it did that trade. Uh, uh, as we know, and, and you kind of know history, you don't need me to go back over it. And, and, and so we've gotten past that, thank God. And, and with bloodshed and tears and a lot of hard work, we've gotten past that. But here's the deal. We turn around and the Bible says you're a slave to Christ. So we are slaves. Or we ought to be. But there was another kind of slave. You see, I, let's say I owe John Hartless a million dollars and I can't pay him. So I become his indentured servant. And that is, I got to work for him until I pay off a million dollars. He's back there in the back. I just want to make sure back row's listening. And uh, so, so uh, I become his slave and, and I get the debt paid off. Somehow I work hard enough, make him enough money that he says, you know what? You've paid your debt. You're free to go. And I go, listen, man, I don't have the skills to live life. I really don't. And I live at your house. I work better. You take care of me. And I am willing to be your slave for life if you'll keep taking care of me. He says, sounds like a deal to me. And when that happens, he would take me over to the door of his house. He'd lay my earlobe on the door, take a spike and pop and pop a hole in my ear. So I see some of you ladies have gone through this. And that hole in my ear signified that I was somebody's slave for life, but it was a voluntary thing. You see, we have become slaves for Christ, and in a sense, in a voluntary way, because we said, yes, Lord, right? And so when that happened, he made us his slave for life. So we have to understand this first as a command from God that we are obeying Christ. Now, I don't know what your job is, and there are a bunch of them in this room, and maybe you don't like going to your job on Monday morning. Nobody likes to go to job on Monday morning, but maybe you don't enjoy that. This, the Bible says you ought to enjoy going on Monday morning because you're not going to a job. You're not serving a company. You're not serving a man. You're serving Christ. And that's the point of these verses. Now, let me just show you what the Bible says about it. 
Uh, and, and I've got uh, eight things that I, I pulled out of here. And the first one I've already talked about. You are ever only a slave of Christ. Positionally, you are only a slave of Christ. So even a slave who's a slave of another man is not a slave of that man. He's a slave of Christ. And that's how he had to view himself. You, I'm encouraging you as an employee to consider yourself an employee of Christ. Yeah, amen means, okay, I understood that. You you don't have to necessarily agree, but you should agree because that's what it is. And so he says, bond servants. Now remember, this little mini-series within the big series, uh, as we prepare for battle, we've got to live a spirit-filled life. And we see this in relationships between husbands and wives and and parents and children. Now we're looking at employee-employer for our modern talk. Back then it was could be slaves and masters. But positionally, you are a slave of Christ. Now I've talked about that, so I'm going to go on. Secondly, our behavior. Notice what it says there. Obey your earthly masters. There is a, a behavior. Obedience is required. Obedience is not an option. It's required. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ. He goes on to say, I'm going to tear that down a little bit more. But obedience is a requirement. Now, listen, as a Christian, if you ask me to break the law or do something immoral, then under Christ, I have to say, that is the higher law. But other than that, you ought to do it. And in, in modern times, we, we are hypersensitive. I don't know if you've noticed that. In society, when I say we, I mean, you may not be hypersensitive. I'm not sensitive at all. Uh, in fact, I'm, I have to... Keep my editorial board running. That's why I look at my wife a lot like, is that good? Because uh, uh, I, I need help with that sometimes. But some people, they're hypersensitive. Boy, you, you, you say one thing and they hear 20,000 other things that you didn't say, you know. And, and so I, I don't want to be misunderstood, but we live in a time of that. And so I always have these Christians come to me and say, well, you don't know my boss. And you don't, Listen, the guy who wrote this is in a Roman prison. The guy who wrote this said... You've got to obey the civil government. And he's going to be put to death by that government. I mean, I want you to get this perspective. This isn't Paul going, now, if you've got a nice boss, do what he asks you to do with a nice attitude. He's saying, obey your master. Somebody owns you? and, And that's ungodly at the face of it? And he says, obey them. Do what they ask you to do. You're a slave. That's your position. That's where you are. Do it. In other words, you ought to act like a godly, spirit-filled Christian no matter how they act. And a godly, spirit-filled Christian will always do his best. Listen, when we strive for perfection, sometimes we hit excellence. Right? Nobody's ever going to be perfect, but if you strive for that, you're going to find excellence. In other words, do your very best. I told my wife I wanted to illustrate this this way. And some of you will know this, so I'm going to just throw it out there and you can explain it to the younger people. I, just, I knew it from the movie, but, but I found out about it. But you, how many of you know about the river, bridge over the River Kwai? Yeah, Japanese have prisoners of war, British prisoners of war, and he required them to build a bridge, to build a bridge over a river. And they said, we are British, and they built it good. I mean, it was awesome. Then the Americans showed up to blow it up, and they got upset because they had built such a good bridge, they didn't want to blow it up. And yet, they built it for their enemy. It's, it was kind of a weird juxtaposition of, of positions there. 
And, and that attitude of those British ought to be our attitude in that movie, ought to be our attitude as Christians. Hey, he wants me to do this, and I, he shouldn't own me. I shouldn't be a slave. He ought to pay me more. He ought to give me vacation. I ought to do this. I ought to do that. Instead of having that attitude, I ought to say, I'm going to do the best. That guy, I'm going to make myself invaluable to that guy. So that's a different attitude because you're not working for him. You're working for Christ. And how would Christ receive the work you're doing? That's why obedience is necessary because you're not doing it uh, uh, for yourself. You're doing it for Christ. Notice what he says. To do it with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart. Listen, here's your perspective. It's, it's temporary. It's temporary. You're going to die. It's temporary. Everything in this world's temporary. I don't care if you're a good billionaire. I don't know if that's a number. A gazillionaire. I don't know. What, that's why Brother John back there helps with the money. Because I don't know. I don't care if all you got is a buck and you don't have that. And you had to borrow the dollar. That's irrelevant. It's temporary. I, you know, I heard it illustrated, and I love to illustrate it this way. You would not put wall-to-wall carpeting in a pup tent. Put air conditioner, cut a hole in the side of a tent, put air conditioner in there, pave a driveway in front of it, plant a flagpole out front of it. That's my pup tent. <laughs> this is our pup tent. Why do you serve the pup tent rather than the eternal that is living in us? And that's why Paul said, in these clay pots, we carry an eternal weight of glory. And so we're to live out as if we have that eternal weight of glory in us. We're to do it. The attitude is with fear and, and trembling. And, that, and we get that it's temporary from earthly masters. They're going to die too. Don't forget that. We're going to come back to that a little bit. And the attitude is with fear and trembling. In other words, with reverence. That's that same word that he talked about. Wise reverencing your husband. Husbands, serve your wife as Christ serves the church. Having reverence for him. And now he tells the slave to reverence their master. And the commitment is from a sincere heart. In other words, don't do it because I've got to do it. I, when our children were little, we would tell them to do something. And we expected a positive answer. And so I said, okay, nope, get a better attitude. All right, <laughs> better attitude than that. I'll do it. No, better than that. Yes, I'm excited to do it. Okay, now we're getting there. And we do the same thing. Listen, here's what I learned, and I, 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 thought it, I, I figured this out when I was still in my 20s. And it's this, people never grow up, they just get older and bigger. And if you work with people, you'll figure that out. People act like children. If you don't believe it, just watch Jerry Springer. I had to quit watching that because I got homesick, but... No, he says, do it with a sincere heart. In other words, let God create a want to in your heart to do it. You ought to want to serve Christ. And when you begin to look at everybody and every task as something you're doing for the Lord, it'll change your attitude at work. And people will notice. In fact, I guarantee you something. If you work with a bunch of people and you start working that way, some of them will come over to you and say, man, what's wrong with you? You're making the rest of us look bad. You ever heard that on the job? Yeah, you're making the rest of us look bad because you are so committed to it and do it with diligence. Don't fake it. Do a good job. Notice this. Not by way of eye service 
as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. I did not know what that meant till this sermon. And when I looked up what I service means, you know what it means? It means he's got to keep a watch on you or you won't do your job. In other words, it's only service when an eye is on you. What's our little saying? When the cat's away, the mouse will play. Right? He says, don't be that way. You do a good job whether he's there or not. You do a good job because you're supposed to do a good job. Don't do the job just because you have to do it. Don't do it because he's watching you. Do it as unto Christ. Do a good job with diligence. And in fact, enable the uh, uh, workers around you to do a good job. Listen, don't fake it. You are doing a work for Christ is your motive. It says in verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. You ever thought about your job is doing the will of God? See, we, we, we tend to think, and we, we got into this thinking, I don't know when or how, but we tend to think of pastors, missionaries, people like that, well, they work for the Lord. No, you work for the Lord too if you're a Christian. See, that's the point. God's called me to a specific kind of work, but he's called you to a specific kind of work. You do what I cannot do. I could not do your job. And so you sit there and say, I couldn't get up there and preach. People tell me that all the time. I, I did a wedding yesterday in Suffolk. A, kid, a child, a girl that grew up with our child. In fact, mom found pictures of us holding that baby in the nursery when she was first born and all. And then I married her off yesterday uh, to some hairy beast. I don't even know. But anyhow, <laughs> I always tell brides that, you know, you got to take this hairy beast home with you, right? Uh, but anyway... Um, I messed myself up. Uh, um, but help me. I don't know either. Um, I was talking about we're, we're doing what we're doing for the Lord and with a good heart. It was something about that wedding. I forgot what it was now. I'll take another sip of water. See, I should write some of this stuff down. Oh, boy. I'll let that go. It may come back to me. But just the fact that we are, we're, we're, we're working for him, and, and I'll, I'll get this out of it anyway. Uh, in your marriage, it's the same thing. You're not serving your husband, your wife's serving the Lord. If a marriage is in the Lord, that's, that's the way it's supposed to be. And here's the assurance you receive back from Christ, not from men. Verse 7, rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord, not to men, knowing, verse 8, that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's bondservant or free. Like I said, this is temporary. The reward is eternal. A few years back, somebody made up a cute little, you know, semi-Christian little thing, says working for the Lord is often difficult, but the benefits are out of this world. I, I developed a little thing I like to say in my, to myself, especially when I feel myself desiring something of this world I know I'm not going to get. Well, that's what heaven's for. You know, I'm, I, I probably never live in that mansion on a hilltop here. I'll probably never have the, the money and the prestige and the, all the things that people work and kill for, it says in James. But one day I will have it. But I'm not going to have to fight for it. It's just going to be given to me. God, God is letting the rich of this world work to provide for those who serve him. Did you know that? That's what it says. 
They toil, labor, and leave it. <laughs> and then God's going to give it to us as an inheritance. That's, that's amazing. Well, time is gone, but I want to get to the masters. Basically, masters do the same thing. That's what it says. In verse 9, masters do the same to them and stop your threatening. In other words, don't be, don't, if you're a boss, don't be mean. Uh, he's telling the masters not to treat them like Romans treated their slaves. If, if you are a master and a Christian master, in fact, if you read the book of Philemon, which is a book about a slave who ran away from his master, uh, Onesimus, who ran away from Philemon, and while he was running, he ran into Paul. And Paul introduced him to Jesus, discipled him, says, you got to go back. He goes, man, he'll kill me if I go back. He's not going to kill you. I know him. I discipled him too. And he wrote the letter of Philemon to Philemon. And he says, listen, oh, I know he was a slave. And oh, he cost you dearly. Ran away. Took stuff from you by running away. But now I don't want you to take him back. He says, listen, I ran into him. And I'm sending this letter. So you'll treat him nice when he comes back. Oh, by the way, I I want you to treat him nice. But don't treat him nice just because of me. He's now a brother. Treat him like a brother, would you enslave your brother? No. And, and oh, and by the way, Philemon, I'm going to come see you. <laughs> Make sure you do what I just asked you to do. Paul told us to think about, in Philemon, God says, you got to look at slavery. You've enslaved your brother? How do you do that? And, and history lets us know Philemon did set Onesimus free, and he became a bishop of the church. And so, Paul here in Romans, I mean, Ephesians says, do the same to them and stop your threatening. So, your position is you're a boss under Christ. Christ is your boss. If you're a boss, you must obey Christ as your behavior, your perspective, because it's temporary. You're not always going to be the boss or you're going to die, one of the two. And then you go to meet your boss. (laughs) Uh, Your attitude ought to be with fear and trembling because who you are serving, you are serving brothers and sisters in the Lord. Your commitment is to have a pure, loving heart to them. Your diligence is to do a good job and enable your workers. You see, if, if you're a boss and your workers do a good job, it makes you look good. But if they have to complain and whine and they're not motivated, it makes you look bad. Right? Some of y'all frustrate because you work for yourself. You're both. See... If you are doing a good job, you will enable those around you to do a good job. And you will enable those under you to do a good job. So you need to provide for them what they need to do that good job. Your motive is you work for Christ. You're not a boss of yourself. You're a boss for Christ or for yourself. You're a boss for Christ. Your assurance is you're going to receive a reward from Christ. That's what it says. Knowing that he who is both their master and your master is in heaven... And there is no partiality with him. Here's a final thought on that. Being the boss don't make you a bigger deal. Being a boss does not make you a bigger deal. Because Christ is the boss. He's the only boss, right? He's the boss of this church. He's the boss of creation. The Bible says that he thought of it, he did it, and he holds it together by the power of his word. And Peter says, and one day he's going to release it and this, everything created is going to come apart with a fervent heat. He is the boss. And we serve him as either a slave or a master, as an employer or employer. So here's a couple of things you can take with you. So 
and will be done. Make sure you do your labor with diligence and love as if it were for Christ. I don't care what your job is. Do it with diligence and with love as if you were doing it for Christ. And the same applies to if you're a boss of anybody. And again, that doesn't have to be like you're the boss and you pay the employees. It can be you're in charge of people. Make sure you enable those around you to do a better job and create a better atmosphere at the work. I mean, as Christian, shouldn't it be better to work for a Christian than it would be for a lost guy? Well, absolutely. But if you're the only saved person there, guess what? You're the only light in that dark place. You're the only Bible anybody's going to read. So what do you want them to see? You want to see them to see that the worst employee, the most complaining employee, the laziest employee is the Christian? No. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Listen, you act like Christ wants you to act, and Christ will reward you. It may wait till heaven, but guess what? God may do something while you're still here on earth. He may set you free like he did Onesimus. And set him free to serve Christ as Christ's slave and no longer Philemon's slave. Now I pray that today, no matter where your job is or what your position at your job is, that you'll understand that you serve Christ, not man.